0: Proverbs are proffered to promote learning. Now if you were here last week, that sentence should sound familiar to you. Uh, It had a little bit of a variation to it last week, or a variation perhaps this week we can say. Last week when we were talking about the home as a production facility, as a production center, I began with proverbs are proffered to promote productivity. So today, just a a little change, proverbs are proffered to promote learning. In 2011, a survey was taken, a poll was taken, and the question was, or one of the questions, was name the three branches of the US government. And in 2011, 38% of the population could name the three branches of the U.S. government. The survey was done once again. It may have been done many times. I saw these three results. In 2014, the question was repeated, name the three branches of the government, and the survey dropped 2% down to 36% of people in the country surveyed. Could in fact identify the three branches of government. In 2016, UPenn survey, same question. Two years later, election year, 26%. That's a 10% drop. It's a 10% drop in two years of how many people could identify this. I'm sure. I didn't want to look them up because I knew it would be depressing and I knew they would be skewed in various ways. But I'm sure that if we were able to measure the statistics of Bible understanding, of general Bible knowledge, or of amongst Christians the knowledge of church history or creedal development, even amongst the Reformed, I'm sure that the statistics would probably be just as discouraging don't give up, Solomon wrote Proverbs to overcome ignorance. To assist in overcoming ignorance. One of my favorite verses is not one that I cited here, but Proverbs 4-7, you'll recognize it. similar to things that we just read. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. And whatever you get get insight. Now, as I was preparing my sermon, uh, this sermon, and I was right at this point, I was sitting at my favorite coffee shop, and a young lady came up to me uh, in high school and said, can you, can you write down a piece of advice for me on this napkin and sign it? And, uh, and she said, well, we've, we've got an assignment at school to get advice from a stranger. And so I wrote down, whatever you do, get wisdom and get insight. So she's watching me write it down, and I'm kind of looking at the Bible, and, she, and, and she's looking at it, and I said, Do you know what that is? And she said, Is it a book of advice? And I said, Yeah. I said, Yeah, it's, it's, it's a Bible. She said, Oh, I'm Jewish. I said, good, it's still a Bible. <laughs> it's open to your Bible. It's still a Bible. I'm giving you advice from your uh, Bible. And so I asked her, do you know the three branches of the government? And she did. I was really glad. Uh, one of the 26% was right there uh, in high school. I was, I was very glad. It took her a few minutes, but she came up with them. Uh, Jesus is wisdom from God. Whatever else we say in this sermon, Jesus is wisdom from God that has come down, been incarnate, and through the work of Jesus Christ, the pouring out of his spirit into our hearts, renewing our minds, we have received wisdom from God. We get it through Jesus. and Proverbs is a part of the way that he does this work in our lives. Uh, What I decided to do this week in terms of organizing the structure of the sermon is just completely parallel it to the structure from last week. Who knows, maybe that's a way that gets it into us a little bit deeper, maybe that helps us to uh, connect various sermons and the way that we're looking at them. So what I'd like to do, four parts then uh, from here on out. The assumptions of learning, particularly the assumptions of learning from Proverbs, the fields of learning. Now last week I called that the objects of production, but fields of learning makes a little bit more uh, sense for this topic. The labor of learning, and then we'll talk about increasing learning uh, as our last one. So let's begin with this idea, the biblical, the proverbial assumptions that are associated with learning. And I'm going to give you, of this, I want to give you four very simple things to think about. First of all, this. Proverbs assumes that we need to learn. may sound fairly simple, but Proverbs assumes that we need to learn, that we do not come into the world knowing it all, and we do not arrive at some point where we have learned it all, where we have figured it all out, and we no longer need to be learners because we've got it all down now. Now, clearly, from the passages that I've read, from even a cursory knowledge or understanding of Proverbs, we recognize that children especially need to learn. But Proverbs, while recognizing and appreciating that, the rest of Scripture and Proverbs affirms the validity of the phrase, lifelong learners. I like the way that uh, in chapter one, verse five says, It verse four has Address the youth, verse five says, let the wise hear and increase in learning. So it doesn't say you know, once you've become a wise person, you don't need to look at Proverbs anymore, you can move on to bigger and better things, but the wise hear Proverbs and they increase in learning. It's not just youth, the wise also continue to learn things. So Proverbs assumes in us a natural ignorance But it also assumes something more nefarious than a natural ignorance. Proverbs does not view us, it does not view our minds or our hearts as a kind of tabula rasa, a blank slate wherein all you need are the right ingredients, the right methods for filling up that blank slate, the right information with which to fill up that blank slate. Instead, to the contrary, Proverbs says this, 22:15, folly is bound up in the heart of a child. And if I think we can extend that, folly is bound up in the heart of people. We are not neutral. And left to ourselves, and you would see this in uh, 29, 15, A child left to himself brings shame to his mother. We wouldn't be neutral left to ourselves. We would be, in fact, shameful. And we would bring shame to our mother, to our parents. We need to learn. Secondly, assumption. We have the capacity to learn. That may be obvious, to us, that we have the capacity to learn, but it is glorious. We have the capacity to not merely process and receive data, not merely to understand facts, but we have the capacity to become wise to have our minds transformed, to have our wills and our affections shaped by teaching, by rightly understanding the word that is presented to us. We can learn, we're not just stuck with affections the way they are, we're not just stuck with folly bound up in our hearts, but I can learn to love what I ought to love, to hate what I ought to hate, to pursue that which is good, to resist that which is evil. For the believer in Jesus Christ, this capacity to do so is found in him. It is founded on the renewal of our inner person, as we saw in the passage from Ephesians. And of course, the capacity to learn, the assumption that the child of God has the capacity to learn is a wonderfully hopeful doctrine. It means that we're not stuck. It means that we can grow within the person who we are, within the capacities and circumstances that God has entrusted to us. We have the possibility to grow in wisdom. So we need to learn, we have the capacity to learn. And the third assumption from Proverbs is the means of learning. How how do you learn? What's the, what's the assumption that Proverbs makes? Now, we know this, and Solomon knew this, but we can learn all sorts of ways. We can learn through experience. We can learn through trial and error. We can learn by watching someone do something, by doing it ourselves, by making mistakes. We can learn by suffering. Proverbs recognizes all of those ways of learning, but Proverbs insists on the foundational value and the foundational place of words in learning. Words spoken, words written are the foundation of learning in the book of Proverbs. Now, just listen. I, I, I to the passages that are before us. Chapter one, verse two. To understand words of insight. Later, chapter one, verse six. The words of the wise and their riddles. Chapter four. Let your heart hold fast my words. Do not turn away from the words of my mouth. 1927. Cease to hear instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge while not diminishing other ways of learning, Proverbs says that the power for renewing our minds is actually by God's grace and by God's appointment, the power of the word, spoken and written. Now, in a culture such as ours that is dominated by image, We need to hear that and to think, okay, what does that mean? That would mean one thing if we were in a pre-technological age. We are not. We are in an image-dominated culture, and God says words. Words are the way you increase in wisdom. We'll circle back to this a little bit later in the sermon. Fourth and last assumption uh, to highlight is the primacy of the home and relationships in and around the home of the epicenter of initial and lifelong learning. For the book of Proverbs, learning begins in the home. That's where it starts to take place and it has a way of coming back home. And it comes back home to roost for better or for worse. We said that in a sermon a couple of weeks ago, 10-1. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. It's not just about you. It doesn't only impact you. Your wisdom impacts the family, whether you're the child in this case, or Proverbs 14:1, The wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. Your home is a learning center. Your home is a university, whether you want it to be or not. And school is always in session. It never takes a break. Your home is teaching something. Last week we talked about you're producing something. It's good fruit or bad fruit, but you're producing something in your homes. Same thing here. You are teaching something in your homes, whether you want to or not. And the home is decidedly the center of that learning. Now, I gotta pause for a second. This is a little disclaimer. It's a little announcement. I do this once every two years, and this seems an apropos place to do it once again. If you're a homeschooling family in, your church, in the church, you're probably going, yeah, preach it. That's what we like. We like this talk about the home as a learning center. I want to say what I've said before. I think, indeed, Proverbs gives parents the responsibility for overseeing the education of their children. In so doing, it does not require the how of that being done, whether it be homeschooling or public school or private school or a parochial school or a one-room schoolhouse, if you can find one of those somewhere around. All of them have pros and cons associated with them. Be aware, parents of children who are here, it is very easy within a church for, I'll say, preferences to develop, for a certain type of education to look more spiritual than another type of education, and therefore to judge one another for the decisions that you have made, don't do that. Oversee your education of your children as parents. Choose what is best in your circumstances and follow that and lay it before the Lord. Okay, so end of, uh, end of that little uh, disclaimer and that little uh, commercial here. The assumptions then are the need for uh, learning, the capacity to learn, the means to learn, which are especially words that have been given to us, and the centrality of the home as a place of learning. Let's look then at the fields of learning. I titled this sermon, Your Home, a University, to emphasize not only the process of learning, but the breadth of learning to which we're called. Uh, The amount of things that we have to teach our kids is characteristic of a university, something with various departments and various colleges and various degree programs that it offers. So illustratively, when you look at the book of Proverbs, you can see that Solomon shows his own wisdom in kind of all the extremes. On the one hand, he can instruct a king about how the king should rule, and then he'll go right over to the smallest setting, instructing a child or instructing parents in how to take care of their children. He's comfortable demonstrating knowledge of trades and of agriculture and of construction. He's comfortable learning about and learning from creeping and crawling things and slithering things and flying things. He doesn't say you can only learn wisdom from me if you can't get the wisdom from your father and your mother and from king solomon what should you do go to the ant. go look at the smallest thing you can still learn you can still gather up wisdom all god's creatures great and small solomon is comfortable talking about home building and homework he's comfortable in instructing us about sexuality warning us of the dangers of inappropriate sexual relations and enticing us with the delights of marital sexual relationships. So he teaches in a wide range of areas with familiarity of those areas as well and comfort and ease in dealing with a variety of subjects. The fields of learning are wide, but Proverbs is not Poor Richard's Almanac, the, the, the book of Franklin with pithy advice is not Poor Richard's Almanac. Proverbs is not the farmer's almanac. The central concern, the priority that Proverbs has for us is the transmission of the faith. That's what it is most concerned about. It has a lot to say about a lot of areas And about how you might apply the faith into particular areas or how from a particular area you might learn about your faith. But make no mistake, the core curriculum that Proverbs envisions for the Christian family is the transmission of the faith, the explanation of the faith. Proverbs insists that when rightly understood, all learning flows from and flows unto the fear of the Lord. Look at the front of the bulletin for just a moment. you got your bulletins there. Just look at the verses that I put on the front. The top one is, is one of the kind of classic examples of, of, of this that we find in Scripture. And this is Paul writing to Timothy. And he says this, but as for you, as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Well, from whom did he learn it? Certainly he learned some of it from Paul, but it gets more specific. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, if I continued the quote there, it would get to the one that is familiar uh, to us, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16. It continues, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. And so the idea that Paul is saying to Timothy here is, listen. You heard these things from your mother and your grandmother, if we went to other places in Timothy. They taught you the word of God, and in teaching you the word of God, what did they teach you about? Salvation and faith, and how to do that which is good, because the word of God equips you for faith and for doing that which is good and that which is honoring to the Lord. Colossians 3.10 is also on the front. You have put on the new self, which is being renewed, in knowledge after the image of its creator. At home, I learn that I am an image-bearer. At home, I learn that you are an image-bearer. And therefore, how I treat you matters. And therefore, hating you, bullying you, demeaning you, Because of your race, because of your sex, because of your size, because of your athletic prowess or lack thereof, because of your intellectual capacity, or lack thereof, is evil. Home is a university, but the core curriculum is theology, and the living of the faith. Our family is a family within God's family. At home, we learn, uh, verse 3 of chapter 1, we learn about righteousness, justice, and equity. Let's go to the labor of learning. Proverbs exalts, learning, wisdom, knowledge, instruction, and the pursuit thereof. When I read it, when I preach it, I, you know, I say this periodically, I have the privilege of, of thinking about these things well in advance of right at this moment. So I've been not only planning the series as a whole, but have been immersed in it this particular week. And when I read these things, these verses, and I consider the call to be wise and the opportunities that are set before us, it stirs my heart, it fires my soul, it engages my mind. I'm ready to learn a different language. I'm ready to read every book that there is. I get excited about learning new things. Wisdom is precious and we should get it. And I study it and I go, yes, I wanna get it, but Foolishness is so much easier. It comes so much easier to my heart and my life than wisdom does. Wisdom is hard. Wisdom takes work. Foolishness is a piece of cake in comparison. We all know this. We all know it. Which is easier? I know this won't work for some of you. Which is easier? to watch a stupid movie or to memorize a verse of scripture, to memorize one catechism question and answer, to read a good book, which comes easier to you? Now, there's not a person here who doesn't say, listen, of those choices, I know which one is biblically better. I know which one is wiser. But folly is easy. The wisdom of Proverbs is also demonstrated in its realistic portrayal of the difficulty of attaining wisdom. Of the ease of becoming prey to the folly that is bound up inside of us. Wisdom is compelling. It continues to attract us because we still have the vestiges of being made in the image of God. And so there's still something about it that appeals to us, we're image bearers. But because we are foolish sinners, folly is now bound into our hearts and therefore becoming wise, whether we're talking about becoming wise as a parent or as a child or as a spouse or as a laborer or as a king has now become a battle. Getting a piece of candy from the candy lady after church, that comes easy. I mean, there may be a little bit of a scramble to get to the candy lady. You got to know who the candy lady is. I don't know. Do they have to say please? Maybe, maybe not. They have to say please to the candy lady to get candy. Getting a piece of candy after the service is easy, but saying to the Lord, God in heaven above, I've heard your word preached, I've read the word, we've heard together the word explained. Now help me to take that word, to understand that word, to live the word that I've heard, to apply something of the word that I've heard, doing that after service, that's not as easy as candy. You are deep in the battle zone, deep in the warfare right at that place. So what does Proverbs recommend? As essential, as indispensable, To the pursuit of learning, (laughs) this is a dreaded word, It, it recommends discipline. Because it won't come any other way. Proverbs says it is going to take discipline if you are going to grow in learning. Time discipline, mental discipline, physical discipline. For children, for adults, We are corporal beings and corporal discipline is needed in a fallen world. Read the Proverbs. It's true for children, young children. Now as they get older, as they become adults, all right, I don't know what's flying up above, but just in light of the sermon a few seconds ago, (laughs) work not to watch whatever's flying above until it begins to attack. And, and hear the word of God we will stop if it starts to attack. Children need that discipline. I suppose if we were blank slakes and everything was equal, we wouldn't need the discipline, but we're not. Folly's bound up in our hearts. And so children need the discipline. They need that discipline to help them to shape the mind to discipline themselves. As children get older and we as adults perhaps That type of punishment that you may be thinking of right now of the rod is not appropriate any longer. But a little bit of physical discipline is going to be needed. The physical discipline that may be needed may be simply the discipline to sit still. It may be the physical discipline to unplug. It may be the discipline for an adult to fast, to say, I will not allow my appetites to rule unchecked. But instead, I will train the appetites to want what they ought to want by subjugating them to the will. The point here is that wisdom requires this. All right, so the last point then is increasing in learning. I'm not gonna take the time, and I can't in a short time now to defend this statement, but I think, and I think most of us would agree, that we live in an increasingly ignorant culture. I think this is generally true, and I think it is true in the church as well. We are increasingly undisciplined. Why would any of you young people bother to memorize a verse and its location when you can find it in two seconds on your phone? I don't want this sermon to be like a call to elitism. I'm I'm very sensitive to that in talking about the home as a university in that way. I recognize that homes and situations come in all shapes and sizes. However, I say this to you, at least to us, to our congregation. Good education, now it might just look like elite education. In another world, it may have just been common. Everybody may have had that level. But that level translated now into our culture is going to seem elite. Be aware of it. But what do we do? How do we increase in wisdom? If we want to celebrate learning, if we want to cultivate curiosity in ourselves and our families, we want to follow Jesus, who as a child grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man, what do we do? Well, first of all, let's be biblical in our answer to this. We should pray. James 1.5, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously. What does prayer do when you pray for wisdom? It orients us, it refocuses us to help us to remember that all wisdom and knowledge is possessed by our great God. And any wisdom and knowledge that we have is wisdom that has been poured out by that great God through his spirit, working through his word, in our minds, in our understandings, and this world that he's created. It comes to us from him, poured out by him, And then finally in prayer we realize that it goes back up to him as well. It is unto his glory, his praise, our love for him. So we pray. In prayer we recognize that growing in learning and in wisdom is a spiritual battle. It will take prayer to grow in learning and wisdom. It is not natural. Your mind, your heart, this world, your kids' minds, your kids' hearts, this world, these are not neutral things. It's a spiritual battle. And so, pray with your kids every day before they head off to school. Set the day of learning before the Lord. And when you are together in the evenings, at your meal or at your family devotion, then you take time. To thank the Lord for the wisdom of the day, for the learning of the day. But prayer is not a substitute. And let's just hear this clearly. Prayer is not a substitute for the hard labor of learning. You cannot pray for a test and not study. Now, actually, studying is probably easier than prayer. But in any case, you get the point. You can't simply pray for the test and not study. You can't be pursuing the ministry and ordination and know that you're facing your ordination exams and just say, forget it, I'm not gonna memorize the catechisms, I'm just going to pray. Hard work is required. So how do we do the hard work? Well, if words, and this is circling back now to what I said earlier, if words spoken and written are central to growth in wisdom, then of all the things we might say about how do you grow in learning and wisdom in your home, and I'm sure there's a thousand tips that all of us could give about that, there are two things which are indispensable, two activities that are indispensable to your home, and they are great reading and great conversation. You have to have those two elements going on in your home to grow in wisdom. Read, read, read the word of God. Memorize the word of God. Read the catechisms together. Our forebearers in the reformed faith expected the kids to know the catechism. It wasn't something super, it wasn't highly spiritual that their kids knew the catechism. It was expected that the kids knew the catechism. And parents were shamed if they didn't teach. The kids, the catechism. It's a different time. Read, read, and memorize. Read lots of books, read great books. And then the great conversation has to continue in your home. The great conversation was a phrase, I don't know when it was originally coined, but it was the title of a series of books that were prepared by Encyclopedia Britannica in the 1950s. They called it The Great Conversation. The greatest books from history, especially from Western history, that shape us, that shape how we talk and how we think, how we relate to one another. I love that title, The Great Conversation. The Great Conversation should be taking place in your home. That's what should be going on. The Great Conversation about life and about faith a multi-generational discussion. Not a lecture, a multi-generational discussion that you keep picking up on again as a family about God's world and word. I'm gonna throw this one into this. Parents, a kids, a conversation has to be adjusted to the level of the kids. I've watched a lot of parents recently Fail to make the transition between kids who are 12 and under and kids who are 12 and older, that is not a magical number, who haven't learned how to talk to older kids as if they are beginning adults, emerging adults, and who still talk to them, treat them, nag them as if they were little kids, nag them when they're younger, and keep the great conversation going as they're older. If you wanna talk more about that privately, we can. Proverbs are proffered to promote learning. Let's pray and work towards our church and our homes being places where in Jesus and through the spirit, we are being renewed in knowledge after the image of our creator day by day. Gracious God, We thank you for this word, and we thank you for the way that you have worked in our lives. We thank you for the opportunities that you have set before us. Some of us have squandered those opportunities in the past. We pray that in this week, the time that is set before us, the the reading that is set before us, the conversation that is set before us would not be by us squandered, but instead, we would look for opportunities to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to that end, we ask Jesus in your name, looking for you to keep pouring out the Spirit upon our hearts and our minds. Amen.